Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 359th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this eighth year across the world, and I'm right on the edge of Red Square in Moscow. I'm sitting in the fabulous Bosco Cafe. It's a brilliant cafe, and uh, you can hear a bit of noise. There was a huge rock concert in Red Square, and they're just starting to dismantle some of the staging. It was enormous. So just to give you a picture, uh, on my right, I've got the um, State Museum, Directly ahead of me, I've got the Kremlin and Lenin's tomb. And down to the left, I've got Basel Cathedral, which is that fabulous cathedral that you see everywhere when you're looking at um, pictures of Moscow. I gave a speech here a few days ago to a bunch of um, Russian businessmen on disruption. They're really, really receptive. It's, um, you know, I don't know, if you haven't been to Moscow... I've also got a piano player just sitting over to my, behind my head to my left. So every little while you can hear a bit of piano playing. It's, it's really quite stunning. First of all, I'd like to say today, no matter where you are, please pause to remember the 2,996 people that were killed and more than 6,000 that were injured in the 9-11 attacks in New York in 2002. We'll never forget them, so please keep them in mind. If you haven't been to Moscow, please put it on your bucket list. It is absolutely, without question, I've been to some clean places like Tokyo is always immaculately clean. Here in Moscow, they they sweep the streets like every 10 seconds. There's people walk down the street with little vacuum cleaners vacuuming up every little piece of paper. I reckon you could walk across the whole city and not fill a trash bag with with rubbish. It is amazingly clean and there's people polishing everything everywhere. So this is one hell of a place. And if you do come here, come to the Bosco Cafe right on Red Square. It's really something. Now, I love my pizza. And today, there's a new guy in town. Zume Pizza uses robotics and artificial intelligence to make pizza more quickly than you can do it by hand. Machines press mounds of dough, they squirt and they spread sauce, and they lift pizzas in and out of the oven. In a fraction of the time, it takes a human worker to do the same thing. And before you turn up your nose at robots and artificial intelligence making your pizza, apparently the testers tell us that the pizzas are great. Now, Zoom is creating technology for other restaurants that want to get into the automated food truck business as well. An increasing number of pizza customers abandoning brands like Domino's and Pizza Hut for these newer fast, casual and delivery chains. Now, Zoom is no ordinary pizza. It's totally made by robots. The co-founders wanted to make high-quality pizza more affordable. Now, by automating the kitchen... The Zoom team can fill orders quickly and accurately and reduce delivery times to five to a maximum of 20 minutes. 
There's no front of house, just delivery. The back room at the Zoom Pizza headquarters, it's capable of churning out 370 pizzas an hour and looks more like a manufacturing plant than a restaurant kitchen. Customers order their pizzas online or use the Zoom Pizza mobile app. A software algorithm sends the instructions to Zoom's automated pizza-making conveyor belt. The doughbot presses a ball of dough into a pizza crust in nine seconds. The pizza crust slides down the conveyor belt and lands under one of the sauce dispensers, and they release different amounts of sauce depending on the customer's order. The pizza continues down the line to meet Marta, the sauce-spreading robot. It's got arms like spider legs. She distributes a sauce made from locally grown tomatoes in seconds. A human dresses the pie with cheeses and toppings because that's a pretty difficult part of the process because toppings come in different weights and sizes and textures. At the end of the conveyor belt, a robot called Bruno sweeps the pizza onto a rack and raises it into an oven. The oven cooks the pizza for about one minute at 800 degrees, which allows pockets of gas in the dough to expand and release and gives the crust bounce. It emerges on the other side, crispy and piping hot. Zoom's proprietary self-cleaning pizza slicer cuts the pie into eight perfectly proportioned slices. Now, each 14-inch pizza costs about 10 bucks, including delivery. By comparison, a large cheese pizza from Domino's which is also 14 inches, is $15.99. And every topping you add, the price goes up. Domino's also adds a delivery fee of about 3 bucks and encourages tipping. Zoom, on the other hand, is a totally non-tipping business. And the untraditional pizza box, I mean, the pizza box is really interesting. It's round and it's made from some sustainably farmed sugarcane fibre. It's recyclable and it's combustible. The bottom of the container has sloped bridges and a recess in the centre and that forces liquids to pool so they don't touch the pizza and make it soggy. So Zoom sends out the uh, delivery vehicle with all the pizza making supplies it needs for the day. So the pizza truck is retrofitted with six well-built ovens and they can cook 70 pizzas an hour, 10 times, 10 hours a day. That's 700 pizzas a day it can whip out all automatically so every quality pizza is delivered in five to 15 minutes and costs about half the price of dominoes so they look like a pretty worthy competitor in the pizza arena now do you get my 30 second read daily new business newsletter we now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers it takes us 30 seconds to read every day and uh, every day we tackle a different subject. Today's newsletter talks about how to build a powerful brand online. And this is a newsletter that everybody who uses the internet for business should read. So to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology, ensure that you're able to compete in this ever competitive world, you must get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. It's really easy to get. Simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com and enroll. And if you want to unsubscribe it takes two seconds to unsubscribe you just click on the button now if you're wondering what the noise is if you've just tuned in i am broadcasting live from the edge of 
Red Square in Moscow, just about 100 yards from the Kremlin. And uh, if you haven't been here, you should put it on your bucket list. It really is sensational. When I arrived the other night for a speech, the um, Red Square was full of staging for stands and they put on a big rock concert, all put on by the state, and apparently it was fantastic. So this is a really happening place. Last night at about 11 o'clock, as I was heading back to the hotel, every bar, every restaurant, every outdoor cafe was absolutely full of people having a great time. And uh, I was surprised to learn that everybody's not sitting there drinking vodka, they're drinking wine. And every second car here seems to be either a BMW or a Mercedes. It's really quite extraordinary and a big change from when I was here 10 years ago. The um, average Moscow bite is doing pretty well, I figure. Now, using misleading emails to steal passwords is one of the most common ways that people get hacked. These misleading emails, it's called phishing or spear phishing. Now, being in Moscow, what you can hear behind me is the bells from the cathedrals. This town, Moscow, is full of cathedrals, and you probably can hear the bells ringing in the background, and that um, they ring on every 15 minutes, so that signifies the quarter hour. Basically, attackers craft an email that looks just like something you'd normally click on, you know, like a bill or email telling you to change your password. And so unsuspecting people click on it, leading this leads them to a site that looks legitimate. I had one just recently which looked exactly like my bank site. Fortunately, for some reason, I just had a feeling that it, something wasn't quite kosher. So I rang the bank, and despite the fact that it looked exactly like the bank's site, it wasn't. It was a fake. Now, if I had clicked on it, they would have got my password. So the victim plugs in their username and your password, giving it to the, the attacker. Now there's a good chance now that your account is going to be hacked. Now, spear phishing was one of the main ways that Russian spies were able to break into the Democratic National Committee's network before the 2016 US election. It's funny, I'm sitting in Red Square talking about Russian hacking. I could be dragged off to jail any minute now, so I disappear suddenly right in the middle of the broadcast. You'll know <laughs> what the issue is. But um, hacking is a big problem for business. Now, you can make sure your computers are as secure as possible, but all it takes is one employee with access to sensitive data who gets fooled by an email and it can cause a really bad breach. Now, Google started requiring employees to use physical security keys in 2017 and seems to have solved the phishing problem. And it's all because of a 20-buck gadget called a security key. And Google requires all of its employees to use these. And it's so effective that not one of Google's 85,000 employees have been successfully hacked since they started requiring security keys to log in. They've had no reported or confirmed account takeovers since implementing these security keys. Many companies already require employees to have two-factor authentication, meaning that when they log in with a username and password, 
they have to enter a second code, usually text to them or delivered through an app. Google took this one step further and requires all employees to start using security keys. So instead of getting a text after entering their password, the employee merely plugs a security key into the USB pass USB port on their computer and presses a button. So that's pretty cool. I've actually seen these work and I think I might get one. It's just a little gadget. You plug it into your computer and as soon as you require a password, it automatically finds you a random password which it puts through and you are clear. Now, Google studies find that text messaging or app-based two-factor authentication, sometimes called one-time password, had an average rate of three, an average rate of three percent, while the plug-in USB port has a zero percent failure rate. So you can use a security key with your own Gmail, and it's a YubiKey. Y-U-B-I-K-E-Y, and it's compatible with USB, USB-C, and mobile devices. They're also available from Ubico. Now, Apple's being hailed as the first $1 trillion company based on the value of its stock, but in the S&P 500 index of the biggest US stocks, Apple is number one with a $1 trillion market value, followed by Amazon at $872 billion, Google parent Alphabet at $844 billion, and Microsoft at $816 billion. But Apple isn't the first to hit the $1 trillion in value. When you adjust values in the past to today's dollars, you'll find that there's been several companies that have actually dwarfed Apple's market size. So Apple may not have, may have, not have been the first to reach $1 trillion. In fact, they weren't. But if you have shares in Apple, don't worry about it. You're still looking pretty good. Now, my guest today is Paul O'Byrne. He's an impact specialist with the cultural creative industries. He most recently worked with Plant, with Kate Planchett and Andrew Upton. He's a very good friend of mine. He leads their, led their social impact community and environmental sustainability initiatives for a number of years. And he'll be on after the break. This is Bob Pritchard. I'm broadcasting across the world this week from the edge of Red Square in Moscow. And I'll be back in a minute. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last five and a half years or so, and I'm not sure whether I mentioned that um, I've just signed for another year a couple of weeks ago. So we've got six years, not bad, considering we started on a 13-week trial. But uh, over those five and a half years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 300 of the world's most interesting people. We talk about what they do, the challenges they've faced and what makes them tick. It's um, extremely difficult to make your mark in the world and achieve success. Most businesses fail. Most people fail. Um, in fact, the latest figures I saw with startups, it's over 98% of startups fail. So the aim of this segment is to introduce you to people that are involved in interesting and possibly different roles and um, we try to learn their keys to success. The other aim of this segment is to assist you to overcome challenges, seize initiatives and become highly successful. My guest today, Paul O'Byrne, is a really interesting character. He's an impact specialist in the cultural creative area and what the hell does that mean? Well, we'll find out in a minute. But Paul most recently worked with Kate Blanchett, Academy Award-winning actress, and Andrew Upton, and uh, with Theatre in Australia leading their social impact community and environmental sustainability initiatives. He did that for five years. He's got broad experience in building strategic cross-sector partnerships and the creation of programs for strategic financial and social impact in the cultural sector and creative businesses is an expert creative entrepreneur, helping companies conceive, lead, deliver and evaluate major change programs, turning their business problems into long-term assets. Paul's got broad experience across a wide range of leading creative arts and cultural businesses and he works with executive teams to assess the real strategic need identify the best path, identify new funding and revenue opportunities and solve complex problems and drive the project with cross-sector stakeholders to deliver lasting value and that's what we all need. Paul's been a successful startup founder, not many of them around, major event manager, social entrepreneur, environmental and corporate change maker. Phew! I'm glad I got through that. Paul, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Hey, Bob. How are you? I am really good. I'm really good. Good. It's, um, the weather looks like it's getting better. It's nowhere near as cold. For those of you outside Southern California, which is most of you, um, we're used to weather that's sort of 80 degrees every day, never any rain. And uh, for the last two or three weeks, we've had nothing but rain and cold, which is very unusual for us. And uh, we don't like it. And the freeways don't like it. But uh, it looks like it's picking up. Now, Paul, social consciousness and sustainability, they're becoming increasingly important to corporations today. And there's been loads of studies that's shown... (coughs) just how important they are to the bottom line, to share prices, to employee morale, um, and a whole range of other things, and not to mention it's great for the planet. So how would you describe social consciousness consciousness 
<laughs> and sustainability for those who are listening and are not quite sure what we mean? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think just to start with, it's 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 coming back to the fundamentals of of businesses being able to operate or having a license to operate, and and when sometimes the the pendulum sort of swings a little far um, in business and corporate favour, um, you know, I think sometimes the broader population goes, hang on, this isn't quite fair. The planet's kind of getting uh, shafted along the way or or the communities that these companies are working with um, are not necessarily getting looked after. And I think that so social impact and social sustainability in a, and an environmental sustainability in a corporate setting is really about um, just bringing that back into balance and, and recognising that companies, be they small micro-businesses or large multinational corporations, are actually operating in an ecosystem and that ecosystem needs to get looked after. So if that's about looking after your supply chain and the workers that work within that or um, or your fleet of trucks that are driving around the country um, and ensuring that maybe they're not polluting the communities you're trying to sell to, um, that's uh, that all helps ultimately your brand and your place and your uh, and your ability to, to actually operate in that market. Companies that have, have become socially responsible, um, there's a lot of companies, but the ones that are obvious, you know, the, the Patagonias, the Starbucks, those sorts of people that um, are socially responsible, is that being driven mainly by millennials and, and the younger generation or is it across the board? It seems to me just with my son who's now 25 or 26 um, and his friends, they really do care whether a company is being socially responsible. It really matters to them. Do you think they're older folks like us? Do you think it, um, you think we're as concerned? I, I think so. I think um, certainly inside business, um, you know, p- companies are always looking at their um, ability to operate, and so I think they're concerned. And on the consumer side, certainly there is a percentage of the population um, that's concerned about you know the impact on the planet or on on communities. But and I think that that obviously grows um, the the kind of younger uh, demographic you get. But these this kind of concept isn't new. Um, you know, Cadbury's the you know the global chocolate brand. Um, back in the mid 19th century, they were operating in Birmingham, and um, and they were they realised that actually a third of the population of Birmingham were living in you know disgusting streets and everything else, and so they established this uh, factory in Bourneville um, in 1879, and and it was state of the art. They had um, exercise facilities and bathing units and gardens and sports fields and hygiene facilities. And actually, by looking after their employees, they were actually looking after their business. They were making sure that they had long uh, established um, relationships with their employees. And, and and obviously, that would trickle out through their, um, you know, not only their quality, but but in terms of their brand and their reputation within the local community. Yeah, that's interesting because I've been to 
I wonder if they're two different things. I wonder if, um, you know, people like, for example, um, the Googles and, and people or that have fantastic facilities that have got exercise rooms and they've got um, – they serve meals to the employees. They've got massage rooms. They've got all of these things. Is that really? Is that because they want to, or because there's such a competition for staff today that they think, "Geez, if we don't, we're not going to hang on to people." Well, I think it's probably, <laughs> I think it's probably the latter. But at the same time, it's you know, there's a there's a business imperative and to minimise churn and. Uh, and and also attract attract and retain those the right talent, and you know as you as you well know and your listeners would know it costs a lot to uh, to replace someone and uh, and so it's much it's often much cheaper to give them food or or give them a gym um, membership or what have you. So I think that, that like looking holistically at um, at employees and employee well being is just one part of being a good corporate citizen, but also looking at your, um, you know, looking at the environment in which you work or the factories in which you operate, that's that's another factor of being a good corporate citizen. Yeah. I often wonder what percentage of companies um, are good corporate citizens because it does boost share price. It does boost your market cap. It does all those things, but I wonder how many of them would do it if it didn't. You know. Yeah, look, I I think there are there are a few uh, brave ones, you know, as you mentioned, like the Patagonias, who who kind of just have a bit of a north star and they and they just go for that, and that's very much core to who they are as a brand. Um, but you know, the there is you know also a long history of 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 companies that have a strong social conscience being taken up and purchased by. Large multinationals. Yeah. So you know the likes of Ben and Jerry's, and um, uh, um, you know many others. Um, I think Tom's, yeah, Bird's Bees. Um, you know all of those companies have been taken on by larger corporations, and and recently um, Campbell Soups bought uh, a, a health and well-being brand for babies. And they were established as a, a B Corp or a benefit corporation, mm. and uh, and they they Campbell Soup decided that no, they were going to keep that. That was an integral part of the brand, mm. and they were going to keep that as um, and unchanged as they uh, folded it into their portfolio. So, it I think companies and corporations are increasingly realize realizing that not only this is the right thing to do but it makes good business sense and also they're going to attract and retain the right people. So, look, no one – I don't think people are altruistic and, and they have this kind of halo over their head and they want to they want to do stuff for the sake of it. It actually – it makes good business sense. And, yeah. you know, um, GE have you – know, more than 10 years ago, they identified that actually being a good – corporate citizen and focusing in on the opportunities that presented themselves around environmental sustainability uh, and health and well-being have created enormous new markets for them. Um, and the same with Vodafone in, uh, in Africa. They, you know, 10, 12 years ago, they were using mobile technology to help people uh, actually transact money without the need, need for banks and currency. And that was happening years and years ahead of ahead of their time. But what they were doing was actually opening up 
brand new markets for themselves. Yeah. Well, just going back to that, the um, nearly all of the transactions in Africa now are all um, um, online transactions. Very few people have money, and the banks don't don't really count. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, Vodafone spear, spearheaded that. And actually, it was one of they had a kind of an entrepreneur um, that was, you know, one of their team in Africa that kind of saw an opportunity, saw that Vodafone actually had the tech to deliver on that, and with a few tweaks, was able to make it happen. Yeah. So so far, we've spoken about big companies. Mm. If you're a small company or even a medium-sized company, how can you be socially and environmentally responsible? And profitable doesn't being does being socially environmentally responsible means you have to spend more money. Uh, yes and no. I think it's about spending money necess- or spending money or diverting resources, be that time or or staff or whatever it might be, into the right place. And it doesn't mean that you have to replicate the big boys and. Uh, and go out and try and be everything to everyone. Um, you can be, you know, for instance, you could be a, a local plumber that that someone, you know, let's imagine a local plumber that says, you know, my mother was a, um, a, a single mom and, and she went through the homeless uh, centre. I want to do something for that for that centre. So then that, that individual says, right, I'm going to actually volunteer my time uh, to that women's shelter downtown, but also what I'm going to do is every time I get a client, I'm going to tell them what I'm doing and see if they want to give $10 or $5 or just made, make a little donation to cover the cost of all my materials. And then they can also engage their supply chain and say uh, when they go to their, their plumbing supply place, look, I'm doing this thing. So it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be an enormous undertaking it can be a very small um, thing but I think more than anything that those sort of stories and that kind of engaging with your supply chain or with your end customers and giving a kind of a, a story um, is actually what engages people and what connects people to a business if that's a small micro business like a one one man plumbing operation or it could be um, I recently was working with a, an Australian fashion brand who um, they were saying, look, where do we start? We've got such a complex supply chain in multiple continents. Um, where do we start? We, we're being pressured on social media to do to do more uh, or to talk about things more. Where do we start? And I think the important thing is just to actually start and to kind of say, you know, well, we're going to do something. And so... One of the things that, you know, when I worked with them and we identified that one of the biggest impacts that they were having was actually their international travel as a company. They travel a lot. Right. And, and, and so even just offsetting all their flights and, uh, and purchasing green power and actually saying that for travel and for, um, and for the company operations at their head office, they were carbon neutral. That's a that's a very simple thing to do. It's not. It's a first very small step, um, but then I think you know it's about bringing in some people that can help navigate that 
that pathway and find a way that is meaningful not only to that company but to their employees and their and their various stakeholders most most particularly their their customers and that person that you call in is Paul O'Byrne right <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, there are a lot of really great people. I mean, certainly I could do it. And uh, you, you I mean, stop you know, that's there. I... Stop there. You don't give anybody else a plug. You stop there. Um, but um, yeah, I was Me. reading um, a story about um, Mars, the French Bill Gates, if you like, who has set up a um, st- sustainability giving uh, organization where he's asking everybody to give 1% of whatever they've got, whether they're a worker or whether they're a big company. Um, and he, he did emphasise that there's all these benefits, the increased share value, the increased market cap, the retention of staff, all those things. But he said in order to really get that to pay off, you've got to promote the hell out of the fact that you're being socially and environmentally responsible. Mm. So, does that mean that you've really got to yell it out at people rather than just let it happen by osmosis? Well, I think when everyone is is yelling, um, it creates for a very noisy uh, environment. And uh, and I think what it comes back to is differentiation, like any kind of marketing message. And I think if if it's, it's one thing to kind of give 1%, but if everyone is giving 1% and everyone's talking that they're giving 1%, it, it's kind of meaningless, right? Except it's good so that whoever's getting the 1%. Absolutely. And I think that, therefore, it's coming back to when, when you're actually talking about that. It's actually talking about the impact rather than we gave $220 million last year. Who, you know, who cares? Because the next guy will say, well, we gave $245 million. And yeah. so it actually is, well, what actually happened with that money? What are the communities that have been affected? What are the, what are the lives that have been affected? How is, the, how is the planet or this community or the world in which we operate a better place? That's what people want to hear. That's what they resonate to. And, and I think um, that the kind of clarity of that, of that message comes from really good measurement and evaluation and having a really clear sense of what it is you're trying to do there. So what, like rather than focusing in on the solution, actually zeroing in on the problem and going, what, what, it was, what is it we're trying to fix? And then telling people how you're getting closer to fixing that. Right. Um, for a small company, obviously the benefits for a big company are pretty obvious, but for a, a smaller company, mm-hmm. um, What's the business case for a smaller company, apart from well, doing, doing good and feeling good? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, you know, for a small company, I think engagement uh, – well, actually, I'll take a step back. It's, I think it's the first thing is differentiation. I mean, let's face it, business uh, today is incredibly competitive and uh, in most markets are very cluttered and it's very hard to differentiate yourself in those. Um so I think actually having a point of difference and having something that you can kind of stake your business on that is not only engaging and meaningful to your customer base, 
but it's also meaningful engage, and engaging to your staff um, and your stakeholders and the banks that give you money and, and, and. So I think that, you know, more than anything, it's about kind of reputation and, and differentiation. And I think that if you're a, you know, if you're a small business or a, you know, medium-sized business with a couple of hundred employees, that's incredibly important when you're actually competing for your labor or, you know, for your employees against the likes of Google that, uh, you know, that have unlimited resources um, or, or other companies that have incredibly well-developed corporate social responsibility programs. So I think that increasingly, you know, particularly as millennials enter the, the workforce um, more and more, um, that message will need to be um, prevalent pretty much throughout the, the value chain. Who's doing um, sustainability and environmental um, impact well? And who's doing it badly, apart from the Trump <laughs> government? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think, um, I mean, I mentioned Vodafone uh, previously, and, and I think what's impressive about them is that they've been, um, they've been very consistent and they've focused in on that intersection of what needs to happen and where they can add the most value and what they're best placed to do. And I think that kind of clarity and impact intersection is super important. So, so I think Vodafone have, they kind of staked their, their um, line in the sand a, a long time ago and have been true to that. Equally, um, someone like uh, Walmart who you, would, you wouldn't think of as an environmental leader have been able to save literally millions and millions and millions of dollars by, by not only saying uh, that this is where we're going as a company, but um, engaging their workforce to say, all right, you're, you're on the ground, you can see stuff happening. And one guy in there, I mean, this is a, an old example, but one guy who was on their um, floor, uh, on their shop floors, said, you know, actually, why, why are all the vending machines lit up? Um, they actually, you know, we've already got enormous store lighting. They realized they were just by taking the, the uh, light bulbs out of their vending machines, they, they saved $2 million a year. No one, wow. you, 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 you saw, um, you know, you still saw the products because those stores are so well lit. Sure. Um, but just those simple things. So I think, you know, the people, there are a lot of companies that are doing stuff and not, you know, um, beating their own drum too much about it. They're just getting on with it because they realize also that it's actually, it's great for business. They're making, a, you know, they're making a lot of savings, uh, particularly in the environmental space. Um, and, yeah, and so I think that they're doing, they're doing it particularly well. Um, I mean, there are so many banks, I think, uh, have often been competing in this space, um, phone companies like Vodafone, tech companies, um, and they're all kind of staking, you know, trying to sort of stake their, their place. And I could go on for days with with examples, but it's, um, and even, you know, you know when there's money to be made in this space when, when the large consulting companies move in. So, you know, the likes of PwC and Bain and all of those, they've all moved into this space as well. So, um, clearly, it's it's moving into um, the mainstream. There's a brilliant ad from Starbucks at the moment on television that says that um, you know they've planted so many trees and they've they're 
carbon neutral and they've employed, you know, 10,000 students and they've employed 10,000 veterans and they've it just goes on and on and on about all the good things they've done and it's a really impressive ad you sit there at the end of the ad and go wow i feel like going and just supporting them by being buying a coffee you know it's a very powerful ad um where do we go from here well i mean what's the big trends that's happening now that will continue to grow or what's going to happen next week next year year after well, I think you know certainly the the um, you know the bigger guys are you know the the very big brands, global brands are are sort of setting the the course. But at the same time, um, they're not very nimble. So I think some of the the larger brands are learning from the smaller brands. Um, but but I think the you know the role of the employee uh, in a in an in an environment where there is going to be um, people transitioning through their through their careers and changing uh, careers on a number of levels uh, on on a number of occasions throughout their career. They need to be engaged not only with what the company is doing every day, but but who they are and what their values are. Because um, so that I think will continue to be a huge um, huge factor. What I think in- the Sorry. What influence will the public play? For example, all the with with the Trump presidency, all of the fuel companies have come out saying we want to scrap all the fuel emission laws. We want to scrap the um, mandatory mileage targets. We want to scrap all that. We want to go back to the good old days when we can do what we fucking like. Um, so, how does the public play a role in all this? I mean, it's all right uh, with, it's with all their right. wallets. Yeah, but you've got to buy fuel. Yeah, true. And they're all but the I same. Think that, absolutely. <laughs> they and all I think, well, I think that you know a lot of people are moving. You know, particularly well in in the bubble of Southern California, at least sure. it's sure. Uh, you know to electric cars, and I think that you know that a lot of the the major kind of car companies realise that that is that's the future. Um, but look, I think the you know the current administration and and where things are going it's it, it like anything it's it's a needle that sort of swings back and forth but but ultimately i think in terms of um the general population and where things are going uh and the rise of of the millennials as we've talked about um it's only it, it's only going to become more and more important for companies uh, particularly as you know, if the disparity in wealth becomes even more prevalent or climate change or the effects of so-called climate change uh, become more increasingly apparent, uh, people will be looking for answers and they will be looking for solutions. And and governments increasingly are stepping away from all of this stuff and I think corporations are recognising and businesses, you know, large and small, are recognising that they have a, a powerful role to play in it. Okay, this, this is probably something you don't like talking about, but you were with um, um, Kate Blanchett and Andrew Upton for quite a long, many years. Mm. What's their commitment to sustainability in the environment? Obviously, they have a strong one, and they, you wouldn't have been employed. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, look, I, I think uh, it's one of their initial visions for the Sydney Theatre Company that they took on in uh, as the artistic directors in 2008. When they were asked what what their vision for the for the company was, initially, like before they'd even started, they said that they wanted to to demonstrate that the arts could be a leader in climate change alongside uh, fuel companies or banks or whatever it might be. And so, the and it's an unusual place for the, the arts to kind of say, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to have solar panels on the roof or that kind of thing, especially when uh, the art form uh, is, is the most important thing, which is kind of like the profit centre for, uh, sure. for an arts and cultural organisation. So... I think for them to kind of stake their reputations uh, on that on that bold vision back in 2008 was um, was a brave one, and and I think you know working with them closely, I realised that they they do walk the talk. You know, they when they moved back to Sydney, they completely retrofitted their uh, home on Sydney Harbour with well, the best rainwater harvesting systems and solar. Um, uh, solar arrays on the roof and even timed showers and so you would there there are not many Hollywood stars that that have timed showers <laughs> yes. so so they you know they they walk the talk Kate Kate would drive herself around Sydney in a Prius and uh, and they they lived it and and you know that's that was incredibly encouraging to the staff and the audiences I think of of the Sydney Theatre Company, but but in, in, interestingly, you know, when you when I used to speak to the HR manager there, she would say that nine times out of ten, when ask when asking new employees why they were coming to work for Sydney Theatre Company, it was the environmental sustainability credentials that attracted them because they could go and work, you know, and be a marketing yep. manager in so many different places, or they could be a they could be an accountant in so many different places. But there were very few companies that were actually putting themselves on the line. So with that, STC was able to attract um, uh, really great people like myself. Like yourself, which is <laughs> not a bad way to finish the interview. So if you're sitting out there and you've got a small business or a medium-sized business or indeed a large business and you believe that you should be doing a lot more about um, uh, sustainability and about environmental impact, then Paul... O'Byrne is your guy. I, I know him very, very well. He's very dedicated, as you've just heard. He's very smart. He really knows his stuff, and uh, he would he would love to talk to you. Paul, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks, Bob. It's been a pleasure. You can learn more about Paul at, I don't know where this comes from, but pollination.international.com. No, no, dot com, just dot international. Oh, okay, dot oh, pollination dot international. I've got to. I should have asked where that came from, but I, we don't have time. Very interesting name. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Business Radio Show. We're on Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting today from Red Square in Moscow. This area is absolutely breathtaking. I've done it. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Paul, and uh, he's a really interesting guy and does very important work. Now, just sitting here, just to wrap up the show, I'm sitting here, and if you haven't been to Moscow, you really should put this on your bucket list, the um, the cathedral, St. Basil's, that you always see with the twirly um, spires and things is absolutely breathtaking. I mean, it, it's spectacular. And behind me, um, I've got the Gum Shopping Centre, which has got to be the best shopping centre in the world. I mean, it is just amazing. And in the food court, they sell every type of specialist food imaginable from the most extraordinary caviars through to every sort of fish and seafood and every, every rare delicacy that you can think of. It's really quite spectacular. So if you, um, from here tomorrow, I'm actually heading off to St. Petersburg, which I hear is equally great. So um, looking forward to that. The, um, so next week's show will come to you from St. Petersburg. I don't, know, I don't know where I'll be broadcasting from there, but somewhere I'll try and find some spectacular spot. Now remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up just way too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. You don't want to be ordinary. There are no rewards emotionally or financially from being ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, normal's boring. So if you're always trying to be normal, you'll just always be boring and you'll never know how wonderful you can be and you'll never know the highs and lows and the exhilaration you can get by being kind of weird. Now, I hope you can join me again next Tuesday. Well, I'll again be broadcasting from Russia, this time from St. Petersburg. And in the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.